But, you know, life is, it just, it gets really busy, right? I mean, Alex is, he's, he's jet-setting all around the world, going to see family in the UK, and, and he's got all kinds of things going on. He has another job. He's got a new, you know, he's got a young child, and so he's got a new family rhythm he's got to work out. And this is just kind of the way it is, right? We're all just really, really, really busy. Here's the problem with being really, 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 really busy. There's a lot of problems with it, not the least of which is that it's unsustainable. You can't keep it up for a lifetime. You can't run a marathon at the pace you would run a 100-meter dash, right? But that's kind of how we're trying to live. We're trying to live that way. But one of the other problems with with such a fast-paced life is this, is that we miss a lot of important things that just weren't urgent enough. We don't do a lot of things that we ought to be doing because nobody's screaming at us to do it. I'll give you an example. Uh, this weekend, um, uh, my, my oldest son and I, uh, he did most of the work, but my oldest son and I have been, uh, have been uh, landscaping the back of our yard. Now, we have lived in this house for 14 years? Yeah, almost 14 years now. And so, uh, and underneath the deck in our backyard, we have a walkout that goes into the, to the backyard, but underneath the deck, it has always been muddy. Never been able to get grass to grow there. Never, because it's, it's just too much shade. You got, the, you got the deck, and then we have a shed right next to it. And so um, it's just always been muddy, and it's always bothered me. And the carpet down there in the basement was just always trashed. It was, it was original to the house. The house is 20 years old. We didn't replace it until last year. Well, last year, we replaced the carpet. All of a sudden, getting rid of the mud in the backyard becomes a little bit more urgent, right? Because now, you know, before, okay, you get a little mud on the carpet. Who cares? Now, I care a lot. Because we just spent six grand recarpeting the entire house. I don't want any mud on that carpet. Well, beyond that, we're also uh, about to move out of that house into another house, and we're going to be leasing this house. And so now I'm thinking, okay, people who don't own this house are going to be less paranoid about the carpet than I am. So we really need to get this done. And so we finally broke down and started doing the hard work. Caleb dug out uh, uh, several inches of, of soil all around, and we've laid down landscaping fabric, and we're, we're hauling rock back there and, and filling that area up with rock so that, so that you can walk from nice grass into the rock, into the house, and not track any mud into the house. Well, another example, and this one is, is perhaps a little bit more pathetic, um, and, and, and one I have to, you know, I'm, I'm here to kind of cleanse my soul and to confess to you, and so um, that's what I'm doing today. Uh, there has been a stain on my bedroom ceiling for quite some time, a water stain. Now, it's not there anymore because I've finally broken down and done the work, but it was literally there for years and years and years. Now, when it first appeared, when I first noticed it, I did what anybody who is extremely busy and wants to do the minimum level of effort necessary to solve the problem, because the problem isn't that there's water coming in. The problem is that I see the evidence of the water. So what I did is I painted over it. Hey, problem solved. Looks great. Fantastic. Well, next downpour we have, hmm, stain came back right? Well, we do that a couple of times, paint it over a couple of times, and the stain keeps coming back. Eventually, you just stop looking up. You just don't look up anymore in your bedroom. And so, the stain just persists there for years and years and years, and it doesn't go away. Well, you know, again, we're, we're leasing the house, and so we need to take care of some things. And, and so, finally, after years and years and years and years, I broke down and did the hard work of repairing the problem. So I had to actually get up in the sea, get up in the attic and figure out where's the water coming from. And then I had to address where the water was coming from. I had to get up there and I had to, to seal where the water was coming from to make sure that it wouldn't come out anymore. And then I had to remove some, some damp uh, uh, insulation because, you know, water comes into your attic, gets in your insulation, your insulation gets wet. Not only does that 
retain the moisture, it also means it's not doing any good as insulation anymore. So I had to get rid of that and I had to replace that. But not only that, then I had to come down into the bedroom and I had to remove all the stippling. I hate a stippled ceiling. That's, that's the worst idea mankind has ever come up with is a stippled ceiling. But I had to remove, I had to scrape all that off and then get down to the drywall. Once I got down to the drywall, I realized the drywall has been significantly damaged. It's, it, it's, it's rotten in places. And so I had to cut out some drywall and then I had to add structural support. I had to go back up in the attic and add structural support because I'm cutting out a piece of drywall. I got to put in a new piece of drywall and I got to have something to attach it to. So long story short, I spent several days working on this and Kathy was away while I was doing this. My wife was away, which is really the time you want to do something like this. But my children were, were all in the house, and they would occasionally walk into the bedroom and look and go, that's a whole lot worse, Dad. You're making this a lot worse than it was before. Because I had, before, all I had was a dark patch on a white ceiling. And now I had, like, pieces missing. You know, there's, there's holes in my ceiling. Well, I eventually got it all fixed, got it patched up, had to, to re-stipple, had to try to match the pattern of the stippling before. But now, and by the way, Here's part of the confession. I still haven't painted over top of it yet. But it looks a whole lot better than it did. And when it's painted, you're not even going to be able to tell that there's a patch there. I'm pretty, pretty proud of the job. Well, the reason I tell you this is because I am convinced that God uses every situation and circumstance in our lives to grow us. Now, this is a difficult concept for us to grasp because there's a whole lot of things that happen in our lives that we don't like, right? There's a whole lot of things that happen that are unpleasant, that, that are hard, that are difficult, that are taxing, that are challenging. There's a lot of stains on our ceiling, the ceilings of our lives, and we don't like them. But God uses those opportunities if we will cooperate with him. He uses those opportunities to grow us and to help us to become more like Jesus. The question is whether or not we cooperate with that. So as I was putting the finishing touches on this ceiling and, and, and matching the stippling to, to, uh, to what was already existing in, in the room, it occurred to me that God has been teaching me about forgiveness. That throughout this process, he has been teaching me about forgiveness, about learning about forgiveness. Now, this is, a, this is kind of a big deal. This is, this is a really big deal. Because like everyone else in this room, there, there are, are, are many times when I have needed to forgive someone. And there are many times when I have found it difficult to forgive someone. There are many times I've needed to be forgiven, and others have found it difficult to forgive as well. But here's the deal. I know a lot about forgiveness. I've been, I mean, I, I've been a Christian for a very, very long time, and forgiveness is really central to, to, to our faith, right? So I know something about forgiveness. I know a lot about forgiveness. I've, I've served in church. I've been a lead pastor and a church planter and a missionary on three continents. I've led worship and I've uh, in, in a very poor stretch of time, uh, led a youth group. Um, and they wisely decided that was a bad idea, so they moved me out of that. Um, but, you know, I've done a lot of different things in the church. I've been a very active church person. I've been a, been a believer for a very, very long time. And I still find it really, really hard to forgive. I don't know if any of you can relate. You're probably all, like, you know, much more spiritual than me, and that's not a problem for you. But that's, it's a problem for me. And so I know a lot about forgiveness, I, I, it, it, something just doesn't quite fit, right? Something is, is odd about that. I know a lot about forgiveness, but I have a hard time about it. I have a hard time with it. For instance, forgiveness. 
I know that because of Jesus, I'm forgiven, right? Again, kind of a cornerstone of the faith. Because of Jesus, because Jesus was willing to come incarnate, to to be God in the flesh, to live a, a perfect life, to die on a cross, and to be raised again, I'm forgiven. God has forgiven me, not because of anything I've done or anything I can do, but because of what, his, what God has done through his son, the work of his son. I'm forgiven. I know that. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.7. In other words, although we need to be forgiven by God, God does not find it difficult to forgive us. I know that. I also know that Jesus tells us to forgive others. Jesus tells us, it's a command of Scripture, to forgive others. Even if someone sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back saying, I repent, Jesus says, Luke 17, 4, you must forgive them. If someone offends you seven times in a day and comes back every time and says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, Jesus says we are to forgive them. I don't know anybody who finds that easy. In fact, if I were to be completely honest, I'm not sure I know anybody who actually does that. For one, I've never, no one's ever come back to me seven times in a day and asked forgiveness, so uh, I've never actually been presented with that opportunity. But Jesus tells us to forgive others. It's not optional. It's not negotiable. It is a command of our Lord. I also know that we have no right to withhold forgiveness. We have no right to withhold forgiveness to anyone else because every single one of us has needed to be forgiven. Every single one of us, if we, are, if we have been honest and if we have been uh, humble enough to do so, has gone to someone else and said, please forgive me. That can be really hard. That can be really, really hard. There, there are times when we need to be forgiven. There are times when we do not want to ask to be forgiven because we know how hard it is. But it's just the reality. We have no right to withhold forgiveness because we all need to be forgiven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's a pretty nice promise, right? But it gets worse. It gets a lot worse if you keep reading. But if you do not forgive others their sin, the Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that's tough. That's really, really tough. But here's the thing. We, when we, whenever we come across a passage of Scripture that we don't like, that's, that that's just hits a little bit closer to home, or it's just a little bit too tough, it, it, the standard is a little too high, we tend to spiritualize it. We, we tend to make it mean something other than what it does, and we nuance it, and we, we shape it, and we reform it to make it say what we want it to say instead of what it actually does. That's about as straightforward as it gets. You really can't nuance that. You really can't massage that and make it into something else. It pretty much says exactly what it says. And we have to deal with it. But not only that, not only all of these things, the other thing that that I've learned about forgiveness is that forgiveness, uh, the, the alternative to forgiveness is slavery. The alternative to forgiveness is slavery, is to be bound by that lack of forgiveness. You see, as long as we cling to our right to justice, as long as we cling to this idea that I need to be vindicated, I, 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 the world needs to know that I was right, the world needs to know, everybody needs to see that I was right, as long as we cling to that, we are bound by its absence. 
We will never be free. We will never have peace. We will never have the comfort of God until we have it. As long as it's not there, as long as it doesn't exist in our presence, then we will be imprisoned by it. It will rule us. We will never be at peace until justice is done, which is bad enough. But what makes it worse is who defines justice in that instance? I do. If I'm demanding justice, then it's justice according to me, not according to anyone else, not according to God. It's my own version that I'm looking for. Well, that frequently doesn't happen in life. It just doesn't happen. So if you want to be free, if you really want to be free, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. So I know all of these things about forgiveness. I'm, again, I've read about it. I've, I've, there's so many scriptures about it. Uh, I've read books. I've, 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 I've talked to counselors. I've talked to other pastors. I've talked to other real people. And, you know, and it just, it's, just, it's, a, it's, it's just hard, and I still find it hard to forgive. And while this is in some ways kind of a personal confession, I also have to say that as I talk to other people about this, I've discovered that I am not remotely alone. That most people have a hard time forgiving, especially when the hurt is really deep. You know, when it's not some, when it's not such a big deal. You know, somebody steps on your toe accidentally, and they say, "I'm sorry." That's not that's not all that hard to forgive them. But when someone really hurts you, they do something that really cuts deep. It's hard. It's really really hard to forgive. And so, as God has used the the, the patch of mud that doesn't exist anymore in my backyard and the stain on the ceiling in my bedroom that is no longer there, as he's used those opportunities to teach me, I've learned that forgiveness is a bit like doing that kind of work. It's a bit like fixing a ceiling. You see, you can ignore it, which is exactly what I did in both instances for a very long time. You know, I just didn't look up, you know, which was a problem when you lay down in bed. You know, it's, it's hard to not look up at the ceiling. But, you know, you just don't look. and You don't notice it. You don't pay attention to it. You ignore it. You can do that for a while, but it doesn't go away. You can hide it. You can, you can slap up a coat of paint, which I did multiple times. You can slap up a coat of paint, and then all of a sudden, hey, it's problem solved. No, no, no more. The problem hasn't solved. What's causing the stain is still there. The stain actually wasn't the problem. The stain was the evidence of the problem. Well, forgiveness is a lot like that. You can patch it. You can, you can slap up a coat of paint. You can cover it up. But time and stress will wear it down, and it'll show up again. It'll pop up. What's holding you back, what's, what's eating at you, what's destroying you, it will come back. Ultimately, you have to deal with the underlying problem. And you have to replace what has been damaged with something better. See, I had to cut out the damaged drywall and replace it with good drywall. I had to remove the mud and replace it with rock. I had to, to remove what shouldn't be there and put what should be there in its place. So, how do we forgive well? How do we forgive well? It's a bit like fixing a ceiling. It's a bit like solving a muddy patch in your backyard. The first thing we need to do is identify the source of the problem. What actually is causing the problem? Again, it wasn't the stain on the ceiling. That wasn't the problem. That was just the evidence of the problem. It wasn't uh, just the, 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 the mud in the, the backyard. That wasn't the problem. That was the evidence of the problem. 
I had a drainage issue back there. I had a, had a, a drainage issue of another kind in my ceiling. But that was the issue. We have to identify the source of the problem. What's keeping you, in this case, I want, I want you to ask, we're talking about forgiveness now. In this case, I want you to ask, what's keeping you from really forgiving? What's the source of the problem? Why is it hard for you to forgive? What's really keeping you from being able to forgive? Is there a hurt behind the hurt? Is this, are you reacting to something else? Are you responding to something else? I don't know if you know this about folks, but it's, it's, worth, it's worth knowing. Um, very often, if, if, you, if you say something to someone or you do something and their reaction is completely disproportionate to what you've done, they're usually reacting to something you don't know, uh, something you know nothing about. They're acting something else in their past, another hurt, another offense, something that went on long before you, and this was the flashpoint. This is what triggered it. This is what brought all of those emotions, those unresolved emotions, back, and they blow up in your face. That's often what happens. And it's helpful to know that, that sometimes people do that way, uh, do it that way, but it's also helpful to know that you do that too. All of us do. Every one of us will do that. We'll, somebody will say something to us, and it'll just set us off. You know, and everyone, every reasonable person in the world will be watching and go, wow, that was just kind of crazy. Because they don't know what's going on in our head. They don't know the hurt in our heart that all of a sudden just flared up. So we, we, need, to, we need to, if we're going to get good at forgiving, if we're actually going to learn how to do this well, we're going to have to learn how to identify the source of the problem. What's the hurt behind the hurt? Are, are, are we holding someone hostage to another person's offense. If we are, maybe we need to ask God to search our heart and reveal what isn't right. Ask God to search our heart and reveal what isn't right. Now, this may be the best piece of advice I will give you today. Sometimes what's deep in our hearts is uh, hidden to us. Scripture even tells us that God is really the only one who knows the depths of the human heart. We don't know our own hearts. You might think you do. Scripture says you don't. I'm going to go with, I'm going to side with Scripture on that one. You think you do. I think I do, but I don't. God knows my heart. I don't. So one of the things we need to learn how to do, one of the ways we need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the authority of God and the authority of his word is to allow God to search our hearts. Ask him, search our heart, find what shouldn't be there, and reveal it to us. And when it's revealed, we got to do something with it. The first time I went up in the attic to investigate what was going on and why there was a water uh, stain on my ceiling, I discovered that the furnace vent had been improperly installed all the way back to the construction of the house. It, wasn't, it just wasn't installed right. And so I knew what the source of the problem was. I didn't quite know how to address it, so I didn't at first. It took a while to figure out what to do with it. Well, Okay, I know the source of the problem now, but I haven't done anything to address it. I still have the same problem, right? As soon as you understand what the problem is, when God reveals this to you, you're going to have to do something with it. And part of that is accepting the truth of it. Because let me tell you this. Again, another, another piece. I'm just throwing out nuggets of wisdom here, so I hope you guys are writing this down or doing something. You type it into your phone. Keep, keep, in, keep track of it all. When you ask God to reveal to you what's in your heart that ought not be there, He'll do it. So you need to be prepared to hear what you do not want to hear. Because it's probably pretty ugly. You're probably not going to like it much. There's going to be all sorts of stuff in there that ought not be there. And when he reveals it to you, you've got to own it. Instead of saying, no, 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 that's not, no, that's not me. 
Uh, that, that's, that's somebody else's fault. That's because of the way I was raised, or that's because of the way I was treated when I was a child, or that's because of this, this, this time when th- that thing happened in high school or college or, or you know, my first job or whatever. We can always find excuses, but what we got to do is we got to own it. That's a hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do. It requires a great deal of humility, which is sometimes hard to come by. But we got to own it, and we have to confess it. We have to say, okay, God, that's mine, and I don't want it anymore. It's wrong. It shouldn't be there. Well, identifying the source of the problem and owning it, that's a great first step. It's a fantastic first step. In fact, it's an essential first step if you're going to learn how to forgive well. But it doesn't get you there. Because after you've owned it, after you've confessed it, then you have to remove what, it, what shouldn't be there. So what's there? What are you finding? When you ask God to reveal this in your heart, what, what comes up? Is it anger? Unresolved anger? Is it resentment? Is it jealousy? What is it? Is it pride? What is it that God has brought up? What is it that God has said, this is the source of the problem? This is where you've gone wrong? Is it because you have this deep-seated need to be justified? You want vengeance. You want justice. You know you have been wronged, and you want it. And you can justify that all day long, and you can, you can uh, declare yourself to be righteous, but you're still a slave until you've dealt with that. So what's there? Is it anger? Is it resentment? Is it jealousy? Is it justice? Is it vengeance? What is it? Let me tell you something. If you are waiting on something to happen before you can forgive, you might be waiting a long time. If you're waiting for somebody else to do something, when they do this, then I'll forgive them. When they come to me and apologize, then I'll forgive them. When they make it right, I'll forgive them. You might be waiting for a very long time, and you will still be imprisoned by it until that happens. So you have to, you have to get beyond that. You have to be willing to do something. And again, here, I urge you, I implore you to ask God to help you do what you cannot do in your own strength. We have a God who still does miracles. We have a God who, is, who hasn't lost any of his power. He hasn't lost any of his wisdom or any of his ability. He can do it all. And so there are many times in our lives when we need him to intervene, when we need him to step in, when we need him to do something in our hearts that we are completely incapable of doing on our own. He will do it. He is faithful and he is just. He will do it if we ask. The problem is so often we don't ask. And maybe the best definition of faith I have ever heard in my life. I can't even remember where I heard it, so it's now mine. Um, that's how that works, by the way, for, for, for pastors. You, you'll, you'll, you'll hear a quote sometime, and the first time you mention it, um, you'll, you'll cite, you, you remember who, who, who said it or where you read it, and so you give them credit for it. And the second time, you might not remember. You say it was in a book somewhere I read or a conference sometime I attended. Third or fourth time you mention it, it's yours. It's, it, God just divinely inspired you, and it's your idea. So this is now my, my idea. Best definition of faith I've ever heard. When you ask God to do something, Start acting like he's already done it. Pretty simple, right? So if you're asking God to remove the anger in your heart, stop, start, start acting like you're no longer angry. Behave like you're no longer angry. Don't do the things that angry people do. If you're asking God to help you forgive, stop holding a grudge. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. It's not. But trust that God has actually given you the ability to do what you've asked him to do because it's in conformance with his will. You're asking him to help you be who he wants you to be in the first place. So do that. 
and then start living like you've already forgiven. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's why we need a Savior, right? So, identify the source of the problem. Remove what shouldn't be there. But then you have a hole. You have a void. One of my favorite movies. I think every time I speak somewhere, I I quote one of my favorite movies. And it's always a different movie. I have a lot of favorite movies. Uh, One of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride. Um, Some of the greatest one-liners ever. Just wonderful. And and, uh, Mandy Patinkin is my all-time hero. I just love love him. Um, But but, um, in that movie, Inigo Montoya is, is talking about how he spent the last you know, 20 years of his life or 30 years of his life seeking vengeance against the six-angered man who slaughtered his father. And eventually, he enacts revenge. He, 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 he enacts vengeance. He kills the six-fingered man. He avenges his father's death. And uh, Wesley asks him, okay, so what are you planning to do now with the rest of your life? And Inigo is, he's kind of forlorn. He's, he, he's, he's realizing this has been what has consumed my life all this time. And now all of a sudden, it's gone. There's a hole in my life. There's a big hole in my life. What am I going to fill it with? Well, it turns out he becomes the next Dread Pirate Roberts, and that's what he fills it with. But I don't recommend that course of action, by the way. Don't go into piracy. But if forgiveness has been something that's been holding you back, if it's occupied a, a, a big part of your life, this need for vengeance, this need for revenge, this need for justice, and you give it away by divine intervention, God gives you the ability to hand it over to him, to give it back to him, because vengeance belongs to him, right? Not us. But you give that back, there will be a hole. There will be a hole in your life, and it's got to be filled with something. And if you don't fill it proactively with something good, it will probably get filled passively with something not good. So you need to replace what shouldn't be there with what should be there. And ultimately here, the standard is extremely high. In fact, it's as high as it gets. The standard is love. Nowhere in the New Testament are we ever given any opportunity or any excuse to not love. We're always commanded to love. Uh, Jesus kind of laid it out a couple of different ways. He said we're supposed to love our neighbors, right? Some of us have great neighbors. Some of us have neighbors we wish would move. Um, We're still supposed to love them. By the way, that's not really what he means when he says neighbor. But in any case, you know, neighbors. But he also says enemies. We're supposed to love our enemies. Now, in the span of space between neighbor and enemy, who gets left out? You see, this is a ridiculous ridiculous standard. It's just, it's so high. It is, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine, which again is why we need God, because we can't do it. But no one gets left out of this standard. We are supposed to love. That means, that means, and hear me on this, because this is hard, and this is, this is, this is one of the reasons people walk away from this faith. And it's one of the reasons some of us have a hard time growing in our faith, because we can't take this step. That means we're, we, we don't, nowhere in the New Testament does it say we're supposed to love everyone but ISIS. Jesus does not give us that out. Nowhere does it say we're supposed to love everyone but whatever political party we don't like. Or, you know, white supremacists or the, or the folks re, re, reacting to the white supremacists in Charlottesville. 
God never gives us the option to say, we are going to exclude these people from love. We're going to love everybody but those. His standard is we love everyone. Everyone. No exceptions. The people who love us and the people who have done great harm to us. Even our enemies. We're supposed to pray for them. I have a friend um, who loves to point out that when Jesus commands his disciples, and it is a command of Scripture, when Jesus commands his disciples to pray for uh, uh, their enemies, that he doesn't say exactly what we're supposed to pray. So she takes that as a, as a, as a kind of a, a giant loophole. Okay, so I, get to, I have to pray for my enemies, but I can pray that maybe they fall down a flight of stairs, right? That'd be okay. I'm not violating Scripture if I do that, right? No. No, you really can't do that. That's not, Jesus is not giving us a massive loophole there. He's not giving us the opportunity to pray harm upon other people. When he tells us to pray for someone, when he tells us to pray for our enemies, what he's asking us to do, what he's telling us to do is that we need to actually pray for blessing to those people. We need to pray blessing upon those people. We need to ask God to bless them. And we need to, along the way, because it's hard for us to do that, we need to pray for a new heart towards them. You know, you've probably heard it said many times, you know, fake it till you make it. Pray blessing upon the person who you really don't want God to bless until ultimately you wake up one day and actually discover, yeah, I do want God to bless them. Keep, keep doing it. Ask God to do it and then begin acting like he has. Pray for those people. Bless them tangibly with good words. I don't know if you know that, but we actually have the ability to bless other people just by the words that come out of our mouths. We can bless one another. We can bless our enemies. We can bless our friends. We can bless our family simply by the words that we use, the words that come out of our mouths. Now, we don't have magic. I can't, you know, I can't bless you and then all of a sudden you're going to win the, the lottery. It doesn't work that way. But, but what I can do is I can say something kind to you or something encouraging to you. What I can do is say something that brightens your day. Haven't you ever been, someone's paid you a compliment and you just stood a little bit taller? You know, which for me is a big deal because I'm not that tall. So, you know, I like it if I, if I get a little bit taller. You know, we have that kind of ability. We can bless people. It's one of those things I've talked about for the last several years, and I've been mulling it over, and I've actually done research on it and studied and wrote papers on it and, and all that kind of stuff about this idea that we can bless people or we can curse people with the words that come out of our mouths. We have that ability. God has given us that kind of ability, and we need to be very careful with how we use it. We need to bless people and not curse them. So the words that we say, the words that we speak, we need to speak well to people and we need to speak well of people. Great bit of advice that my mom gave me when I was very young. I don't know if anybody even says it anymore, but it was kind of thing that that everybody my age or older uh, grew up hearing. If you don't have anything nice to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. That's a really good bit of life advice. It really is. Not only good words, but good deeds. We can bless people by giving them a place of honor. We can elevate them. We can, we can encourage them. We can, we can do nice things for them. We can go out of our way to bless them. We can encourage them. We need the church for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons we need the church is because this is a community of, of people where we're supposed to practice forgiveness where we're supposed to practice loving one another. We help one another. We encourage one another along the way because this is hard work. This is really, really, really hard work, and we need all the help and encouragement we can get. 
One of my favorite letters in the New Testament is, is uh, both letters to the to the church in Corinth, but but Second Corinthians in particular. And one of the reasons I like the Corinthian letters is because the the Corinthian church is, in my opinion, very much like the church, the North American church today. Um, you know, the the Book of Romans ostensibly started the Reformation. That was that that was kind of it captured the mood of the day, and 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 Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and a whole bunch of other folks uh, kind of jumped on that and 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 made some corrections that needed to be made to the to the church as it was as a result of that. I think we're due for something like that uh, coming out of the Book of uh, both uh, letters to the church in Corinth because that we look a whole lot more like the church in Corinth than we do the church in Rome. When you look at the New Testament, but in the in 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 Second Corinthians chapter two, Paul is giving a, a bit of advice. Now you need to know a little bit of background. Um, he's writing to this church and he's helping them deal with a brother who had gone astray and had done great harm within the community. Somebody who 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 had really hurt the church. It really caused significant strife within the body of believers. And now you might expect Paul to say, okay, this person has done harm to the believers who need to cast them out. Get them, get, get them out of the church, send them away. Go away. That's called church discipline. A lot of churches do that today. I don't happen to agree with that philosophy um, because of what Paul's going to say in a minute. But um, uh, you could expect Paul to say, all right, this guy is just, he's just a bad egg, man. Just get rid of him. Kick him out. Be done with him. Or maybe you could say, okay, he needs to be punished, but you know, he'll give him an opportunity to repent. Give him an opportunity to come back. So, so discipline him, but then let him return to the to the fold and when he does then accept him back into the community you might expect him to say that that's not what paul says well that's not what paul says at all instead paul tells the church forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow and then he then urges the church to reaffirm their love for this brother who has done great harm to the church forgive him and bring him back in so he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Look, I don't care how mature you think you are. I don't care how close you believe you are to God and how, how tight your relationship is. And you, got, you pray and God answers immediately. I don't care what you think about yourself. You need the church. You absolutely need other believers to walk with you, to pray with you, to pray for you. You need, the, we all do. It, we are, Paul refers to us as the body of Christ for a reason. Because none of us can do what the body can do by ourselves. We need the church. So we're supposed to reaffirm one another. We don't kick people out. We don't kick people to the curb. We don't dismiss people. We don't shun people. We don't, we don't ostracize people. We don't make people sit in the back pew by themselves, back row of chairs by themselves. We don't do that. We welcome people in. This is family. We take care of family. Even the crazy uncle who drives us nuts. We don't kick him out of the family. You know, when he steps out of line, we go over and say, dude, Come on, man. That you, you, you're 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 out. You're you're too far out. You got to reel it back in. But we bring them back in, right? So that's what we're supposed to do. Ultimately, forgiveness takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work. But it is the way of Jesus, and we don't have an option. If Jesus could forgive the very people whose sin put him on the cross, while they are actively killing him, he is dying on the cross, and he forgives those who have put him there. If Jesus can do that, then we can forgive the very people who have given us a cross to bear too. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God 
with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's not an option. This is how we're supposed to be. This is how we're supposed to be known. Well, I finally got around to fixing my ceiling. I finally got around to fixing the mud hole in my backyard. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm free from the worry of what's going to happen in the next rainstorm, what's going to happen when somebody walks in the back door from the backyard. I'm finally free from the embarrassment of I've, you know, I've got muddy carpet or I've got a stain on my ceiling that, that I haven't done anything about. I'm finally free from all of that. I've done the hard work, and now I'm reaping the rewards. I get to actually sleep easy. We've had some big storms this past week. I wasn't worried because I did the hard work. I fixed it. Here's the deal. Maybe it's time to fix a few relationships too. Maybe there's some folks I need to forgive. I've had a hard time with, but I need to do it. And maybe you need to forgive some people too. Maybe there are a few relationships that you need to fix as well. Look, I believe God uses every situation and circumstance in our lives to grow us. So I hope this morning the Spirit of God has encouraged you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy your desire for justice or vengeance or anger or jealousy or pride, but has given you the strength and the conviction to forgive and to finally be free.